0: NWP Radio. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. NWP NWP Radio. Welcome, everyone. We're quickly approaching the 21st day of September, and those of you who have been watching the right time may remember the breakout dance party between Kwame Mabalia, Julian Reynolds, Varian Johnson, and our NWP team while we featured Black Boy Joy this past August. Well, I'm thrilled to have one of the guests, Varian Johnson, back to the National Writing Project studio today for the release of Playing the Cards You're Dealt which is arriving from Scholastic Press to bookstores, libraries, and hopefully your classroom very soon. I'm Brian Ripley Crandall, CWP Fairfield University. And once again, I'm with the stellar Tanya Baker, Director of National Programs. Tell me Tanya, what's the hand you've been dealt lately?
1: (laughs) Brian. You're so silly lately. As you know, the National Writing Project has always, always has much on deck during the fall semester. I'll play, including more episodes of The Right Time. So many more episodes of The Right Time. I'm so excited. We're thrilled to have Varian Johnson back. He's the real deal. And we are honored to celebrate the release of his new YA novel with us. I can barely stand it, Brian. I can't do any (laughs) more. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you. Varian Johnson, if you don't know yet, you definitely want to know, is the author of several novels for children and young adults, including The Parker Inheritance, which won both the Coretta Scott King Author Honor and Boston Globe Horn Book Honor Awards, The Great Green Heist, an ALA notable children's book, and Kirk's Review's best book, and the graphic novel Twins, illustrated by Shannon Wright, an NPR best book. Varian was born in Florence, South Carolina, and attended the University of Oklahoma, where he received a B.S. in civil engineering. Crazy. He later received an M.F.A. in writing for children and young adults from Vermont College of Fine Arts and is honored to now be a member of the faculty. Varian lives outside of Austin, Texas, with his family.
0: Yeah, it's no secret that I've been promoting Varian Johnson's books throughout this past year, and it's wonderful to have him on the show tonight, where the focus is totally on him, I'm also looking forward to tonight's conversation and I'm excited to be the, to be able to introduce the one and only Kim Tate. When I pitched the idea for celebrating a release of playing the cards you're dealt, Tanya wrote to say, oh, I know exactly who we need to get. So she did. Kim Tate is a fifth grade dual language teacher at International Prep Academy in Champaign, Illinois, where she is a member of her school improvement leadership team as well as co-chair of her school's equity committee. In addition to being a children's fiction enthusiast, Kim is a 2021-2022 Teach Plus Illinois Policy Fellow and a National Writing Project Panda Fellow. She attended the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign and Milliken University, where she received her B.S. in elementary education. She is currently completing her M.E.D. in Education Policy, Organization, and Leadership at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Welcome, everyone, to the show. We're so glad to have you. We're so glad
2: to
1: have you both. We're really both, Brian and I have so been looking forward to this show.
2: Thank Uh, you so much.
1: Yeah, (laughs) thank you, Varian. It's so great to see you twice in two months. Um, We are thrilled to have you both with us this week. And Kim, this is a place where Brian and I hand the show over to you. But first, we want to invite listeners to pause if they wish to do some writing in the National Writing Project tradition. Kim, I think you brought a prompt for us.
3: Well, I did. I've been inspired by the genre of poetry of late. So I'm continuing with that theme. Um, I just ask our listeners and viewers to think about a time when you really wanted to make someone proud. It could be your parents, a friend, a family member, or even yourself. Use the letters in the word cards to describe what that was like. And so here's an example
1: here. Uh, This example is awesome, Kim. And this prompt is so uh, such a great creative stretch for people, I think. Um, But we're going to, while Brian and I ruminate on this prompt, we're going to leave you two to a conversation. So I'm going to stop sharing my screen. Brian and I are going to disappear. And we invite you to enjoy the conversation.
0: Enjoy each other's company,
3: bye-bye. Well, so this is really cool. This is the first time I've done something like this um, and I'm super excited. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be able to just have a conversation with you. Um, I loved the novel. I love the novel so much. And there are so many people anticipating this novel. I know the English teacher at, all, at our alternative school has actually ordered a set uh, for his students, yes. So we're ready.
2: Thank Um, you so much. I'm really excited about the book too and I'm honored to be with you tonight. Let me me just ask though really quickly before you get started, I have a question for you. Dual languages. Mm -hmm. So what two languages are those?
3: Spanish and English. El Español y el Inglés.
2: Oh, very nice. I, I took Spanish in high school. And because I majored in engineering in college, I didn't have to take a foreign language. And now I'm kind of regretting it. So maybe I'll I'll go back and learn it again.
3: You can do it. Any age, any age. We have TAs that come in and help us. And by the time they're done at the end of the year, they're like, oh, my goodness, I have learned so much Spanish. Uh, So you can do it. It's a beautiful language. um, And I love the diverse population that we work with. Um, we work with native Spanish speakers, we work with native English speakers, and I think it's a beautiful thing when we can come together uh, awesome. and just celebrate learning. So I'm just gonna hop right in if I can. Sure. And I wanna start with spades because I feel that spades is such a quintessential like African-American card game. Not that only African-Americans play it, but just if you say spades, most African-Americans know what you're talking about. Yeah. So I was curious, what inspired you to want to use it as a theme or a device in this novel?
2: Um, you know, that's a great question. I grew up playing spades and I love the game. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad taught me how to play. We would play at school, sometimes when we weren't supposed to. Uh, I really picked up playing spades a lot more when I would go away for summer camps. And then again, at college, mm-hmm. we would stay up way too late in play spades and even dominoes. But um, there's so much about the game that is, it's this strategy um, and this trash talk, but it's also yeah. community as well too. You know, everyone getting together, watching, cheering you on, and yeah, sure, your feelings might be hurt there for a second, but then, you know, you kind of get over it, have a little food and everybody's feeling good again. Um, and I love that it's a, a type of game that kind of crosses. I, I guess for me, it, when i was growing up i grew up with a lot of different types of folks certainly um a lot of other um black kids growing up and we would cross all these different kind of socio-economic kind of yeah. stratospheres and stuff yeah. like, space, we could all play space we could all speak yes. that language and was mm-hmm. a way to, to unify us
3: yes i i totally agree with that i we played it in college too, and it didn't matter the people from a wealthy neighborhood, the people from the hood. Yep, all of us came together, and it was uh such a almost like a community building, exactly. Uh, even if you knew somebody was playing spades, mm-hmm. awesome. So, I'm just also curious how long did it take you to write the novel? Like, what was the process like?
2: Hmm. Uh, you know. That's a good question. It took a little while. I was I was working on the book while I was also working on uh, my graphic novel called Twins. Mm-hmm. And so I would go back and forth between them. Ah. Uh, and eventually I'd done most of my work on Twins and I'm working on uh, Playing the Carter Delt. Mm. And I was almost finished. I just had maybe, I don't know, maybe even 40 more pages um, to go. And then the pandemic hit. And when the pandemic oh. hit, everything shut down. And um, I have two daughters and um, they were home all the time. And I was the primary caregiver for them and helping them with classes. They were all fumbling through it and writing just didn't happen. So the book slid and I'm really, really mm-hmm. appreciative for um, my editor, uh, Jenny Abramowitz, uh, with everyone's scholastic, for really understanding that I'm going through this thing. I guess that I realized we we're all going through, we were all going through. And so it slid a little bit. I would say, though, it took probably, it could have taken close to three years on the book. Usually, it only Mm. takes me a little bit, usually they're not, well, let me take that back. I say usually they're not that long, but every book is almost that long. (laughs) Um, uh, The Parker (laughs) Heritage took like almost five years, start and stop. This one took about three years, I think, to really get it under me. And a lot of it was kind of figuring out the characters and the voice of the book, we might talk about that a little bit later on, I guess. and, and figuring out kind of what I wanted to say in the novel as well, too. How much of the space to put in there, how much of the other things, how to keep it, how to talk about the the things going on with, with Ant, uh, with his family, while also balancing, keeping it light and funny. Uh, and that was just a lot of revision. It just took a lot of revision to kind of get it to where I felt really comfortable with it.
3: Speaking of the main character, Ant, and, and that balance, that, that really was, masterful the way you did that. Um, How do or do you relate to the main character of Ants? And and so what I'm asking really, are there any aspects of your personality that come out or that we see in Ant?
2: Oh yes, sure, for sure. And um, after the book's out and I reread it again, I'm sure I'll see even more. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I know that when I was that age, I was very timid as well too. And mm. it's very, he's, he's, he's trying to figure out the world and his place in the world, the place in his family. He's listening to what his friends say and do and his family, his father, his brother. And he's trying to take all that and figure out, well, how do I apply it to me? Should I be like this or this or this? Um, and that was certainly me as well too. I grew up with a lot of um, father figures in my life. My own father passed away recently, but he was wonderful. And I have a twin brother. And I have many uncles and other other kind of men, people in the community. And I was always yeah. looking at them and they all kind of applied things a little bit differently. And like, I really, I don't wanna say struggled, but it took a while to figure out, well, how do I view the world? How do I view my place in the world? How do I view masculinity? Cause like this person does something and it's really, really cool, but also it's not that cool when you think about it. It's kind of funny, but also kind of mean it's toxic. I didn't know the term toxic masculinity then, but mm-hmm. I do now. So it was, it was me thinking about, well, how do I navigate these things to figure out what it means to be a man, but in a way that feels authentic to me, that doesn't feel hurtful to to anyone else. Um, and I think Ant's really trying to kind of figure that out in the book. We're very, very similar in that way. That,
3: that really resonated with me in terms of like this age group and trying to figure out our place and looking at these different models and well, should I be this way or should I be that way? Um, and especially, I think this is gonna resonate with, with boys and with males. Um, so the main character uh, in the story is a fifth grader um, and I teach fifth grade. Uh, so I'm really excited about this. And this main character handles some challenging situations how would you respond to those who might say this text is too mature for fifth graders? And I saw, and I and I thought about this question because I had my Scholastic book club orders and I saw those featured there in the October release date. And it has sort of that, you know, that label
2: yeah.
3: that says there's some mature content there. So I just wanted to know um, what you thought about that. Um, I'm personally amazed at how you demonstrate respect for your readers and acknowledging these very real situations that kids that age
2: experience well you know Kim that's really that's really what it is it's respecting what someone that age could be going through I think uh, unfortunately a lot of our young people are dealing with some really challenging situations uh, in their homes and their lives in their schools and I, I think it's a disservice to kind of or 12 or 14 but they're going to have a reaction to it. And I think it's my job. I feel like it's my job as an author to think about my readers and to think about how they might see themselves in the book and to um, give them some things to think about and ruminate on. And, and so with Ant, it was all about trying to portray his family, his world, in the way that was respectful to, to my readers and realistic to him in the story, but in a way that, that offered... Uh, light and levity and and laughter as well too in places it can't be heavy all the time there has to be joy in the book as well too so it's it's all about you finding places with joy and excitement while also dealing with parts that are that are painful and and trying to balance that to show kind of a three-dimensional fully fleshed out character in in, and his family Hmm.
3: that 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 aspect of joy i'm still thinking about sort of the work of Dr. Goldie Muhammad and, and this idea of joy and how even though we can go through tough times, there's always joy um, exactly. that uplift us and, and keeps us going. Uh, thank you. Um, so this novel, in my opinion, embodies all of the characteristics. I'm a teacher, so you know I'm thinking about reading and teaching reading and we a lot of us have these um, scripted curriculum. Um, but I'd love to do a good novel study. I'd love to run a good lit circle. And I think that this novel embodies all of the characteristics of culturally responsive literature. We get to learn about and experience African-American culture uh, while also accessing the traditional elements of children's literature. Mm -hmm. Um, So why did you choose to include, and I'm thinking about now like the difference, uh, first person, mm. third person, and there's a narrator here. Yeah, yeah. Why did you choose to include a third person narrator in this story?
2: Great question. Um, yeah, I think, um, so let me, let me back up. There's a, Lewis Thatcher, right, is an institution. He's one, written many yes. wonderful novels. Mm-hmm. He wrote a novel called The Card-Turner years ago um, about bridge and right. um and i love the book and i thought oh my well, gosh i would love a book about space so that was kind of the the seed mm-hmm. that planted the idea obviously folks know lewis from his other works too from um um uh, sideways stories from west side school and, and holes right oh. and holes has this really great narrator telling the story and yeah. like the narrator is the first person you kind of meet when they're setting up Um, The setting, there is no lake at Camp Green Lake and it goes on on from there. And then we finally meet Stanley, you know, four, five, six pages in. Mm -hmm. And I love the idea of this narrator kind of setting the stage and offering humor, offering um, uh, commentary. And I was like, look, this might be a really good opportunity to do that here. Um, I've written novels before with with a narrator, but usually that narrator is more kind of uh, in the background. It's not very opinionated doesn't have right. a very distinct voice. And here, yeah. I wanted a very distinct voice for that narrator. I was thinking about all the, all the old folks you know that uh, I used to know growing up and how they would talk and mm-hmm. what they would say, um, how they would joke, how their opinions might change now when faced with some things. And that kind of all contributed to the narrator. And it was really just a, trying to find a balance of when to include the narrator, how much is too much, how much is too little, um is a narrator adding to the conversation here? Is the narrator offering depth or explanation or lightening something? Um, and again, my editor is wonderful, and, and Jenny did a great job of working with me on that figuring out well, what's the right tone for this? Knowing that everyone is not gonna love that omniscient narrator. Everyone doesn't always love every book, and I know that. And I know some folks are gonna be like, Why well, is this narrator here all the time? But I, I love the narrator, I think. They're just as important to the story uh, as Anne. I
3: love the narrator too. And, and I think teachers, this is a very unique and relatable way of experiencing, using, illustrating that third person omniscient point of view. And uh, there's a connection that's made with the reader, I think. Um, so I, I enjoyed the narrator. The narrator was kind of like family to me. Yeah. Um, by the, as I was going through and
2: reading the novel. You know, to, I, I'll just say, again, kind of putting it on my teacher head as well, too. Yeah. It's really, off, it's interesting to think about word choice and what words would a narrator use versus what words would an mm-hmm. aunt use. And thinking about when you're sliding from that omniscient mm-hmm. narrator's voice to like aunt's third mm-hmm. person voice and we're distant and close to it. Uh, this is term psychic distance, distance that talks about how close or far away you are from a character in a book. And I played a lot with that as well too. But a lot of it so much is thinking about how does a character see something and the words they use and how they react and how immediate that reaction is. Um, I all encourage everyone writing to kind of think about that sometimes with their word choice and how distant or close do they want to be to, to the character in the, in the scene.
3: Okay, I'm writing this down about psychic distance and word choice, because I actually think I can introduce that. In our writing workshop. So, thank you for that uh, tidbit. Um, For the first time in a long time, I laughed literally through an entire book. And it had been a while. It it had been a while, actually, since I read a book just for enjoyment. And um, I was reading this book, I was reading it on the subway, I was, I was. Reading it everywhere and literally just laughing, and people looking at me like, Are you crazy, girl? Are you okay? What are you laughing at? Um, I just, it, it was so funny. Thank like you. from beginning to end, uh, it was just laugh out loud funny. Did you intentionally, so did you go into this writing process thinking, I want this to be a humorous book? Did you intentionally infuse the story with humor or was it just a natural effect of following where the characters led you?
2: Um, it was for sure intentional at first, and then it grew from there with the type of humor. Um, okay. I uh, Prior to this, Uh, my last prose novel was the parker inheritance which is not this funny which i love and it's a mystery and it's got some dark things in there too Mm -hmm. no dark's not the right word challenging uh challenge is not the word word. it's got some it you know it's it's a book that that challenges us to think about social justice and how we see each other in the world i'll put it like that and um but it's not super super duper funny and i'm like oh i would really love to do a funny book like i Hmm. want to laugh and I also want to do something totally different than the Parker inheritance. So mm-hmm. I leaned into the funny, and then I was thinking about, well, what type of humor is it going to be? Um, and, and again, the grandfather offers so much um, humor. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Uh, the, <laughs> the, there's so much humor in the book. Um, but I also, there's humor between like the characters. Um, I think the conversations between aunt and his brother has a really humorous part as, as, uh, there as well too. And so I was just looking for those places to kind of add humor to the story.
3: Well, uh, you hit a home run. I, I thought it was so funny. Just the, the everyday interactions, yes, between the family members, between the friends, even just the interactions in the regular classroom, you know, just everyday interactions. Were really funny.
2: Oh um, yeah, you know what? I will say the classroom scenes were great, and I love Shirley. I don't talk about Shirley enough. I love her as a character, and I loved how she comes on the scene and how she interacts with everyone. Um, she is probably my favorite character in the book.
3: Mine too. My and you know, but it was interesting because I started off in the ant camp. You know, yeah. like because I loved to root for the underdog, yeah. and I was connecting with ants with just like you said, trying to find his place and having, being surrounded by these figures and and am I going to be like this one or should I be more like this one? But when Shirley comes on the scene and I'm not Shirley, I'm the opposite of Shirley, you know, but there was something so empowering as a woman and as a woman of color of seeing like, you know, like I make the, I'm, I don't know why, but in my mind, I saw Shirley and I was like young Michelle Obama or, you know, like somebody younger, just owning who yeah. they are and celebrating it and being confident. And I thought I really don't see, maybe I'm just not looking in the right places, but I really don't see a lot of ladies of color, young women of color owning who they are and being confident and being smart, being, uh, I shouldn't say smart, but just being intelligent, yeah. being inquisitive, uh, wanting to know more, going into spaces that maybe they're not traditionally seen that. And yeah. so it was inspiring to me as a woman um, to have this character that was like, almost like an anchor, yeah. you know, to say like, you know, hey, ladies, you can shine where you are in your space. Um, so I just love that about Shirley. And, and yeah, she really, that. by the end of the novel, I was like, that's my girl. Shirley is my girl. Um, so I also, I, again, I have my like teacher hat. It's like I have my teacher hat on and off. And then I would put my teacher hat back on, thinking about like, how would I use this in the classroom, right? As a mentor text and thinking about language, because I'm a dual language teacher. So I think about things like pragmatics of language. And I thought, I don't know, I'll ask you, uh, African American pragmatics and language seem to be a huge part of this story. Um, And one word that stood out to me was young blood. And I had not heard that term in a hot minute. Yeah. Um. And so, for the audience members who might not be familiar with the term, what is you tell us? What is a young blood?
2: Okay. Um. Young blood is your is young blood. It's kind of what it is. It's uh, someone younger, someone who's kind of growing up. Mm-hmm. And it's usually said by someone who's older, more grizzled, kind of been around the world for a long time you know i I think about you know the men i knew growing up and they drive around in these big cadillacs or something like that and they'd eat pork chop sandwiches and they you know sit at the barbershop all day just to be there and giving their opinion on everything and they call everybody young blood uh, come here young blood or, or was a rookie or you don't know anything right you know and it's it's it's, it's kind of a term of endearment but kind of not um uh, and you the thing is about being young blood you're always going to be younger like you will never grow out of it by that older generation you got to kind of wait for them to die off and then you can say it the same same way um and I find I do that with my my daughters I don't call them young blood but I call them both slick for some reason like who call me that. Like, hey slick what you doing and I, I and I picked it up while writing the book I know, and I haven't shaken it since, but, you know, they, they roll with it. So I figure it's okay.
3: I love how you describe it. And it's like a term of endearment, but not, (laughs) you know, (laughs) so like, and I can hear some people thinking, so what is it? But, you know, it's like, it's, you know, it, when you see it, you know, it, when you hear it.
2: Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, oh, sweetie, bless your heart. Like you've done something. But you've done something kind of wrong, right? You know, oh, oh, young blood, come on, man. You know, it's, it's kind of the thing. You know, you'll figure it out next time, but you kind of messed up this time, or you don't know anything. Anyway, I, I love it. So yeah, it's all throughout the the novel.
0: My favorite lines, page one sixty seven. When they, I kind of medium like her, dude, she's got a steak. <laughs> <laughs> medium like. I was like, I, I I highlighted that, and I was like, I wrote it in my little nuggets of words I want to keep forever like yeah medium like no she's not a skate.
3: <sighs> so funny
0: so Kim you also have a, a prompt to exit out with if people if teachers are using this in the classroom um do you want to give that to us now
3: yes I will give that to you now and actually this is a perfect segue because um my writing out of this uh conversation is to ask our friends to think about a term that a family member or loved one might use to describe you, sort of like young blood or a term of endearment that could not be a term of endearment. <laughs> um, and then write a line of dialogue or write a line or two of dialogue using that term in a way that person would. So my example was, I, I thought, miha huh, is a term. <laughs> because I love you, I'm just letting you know those pants are so high watered that Noah would probably take them on his arc. Betty commented on what I thought were fashionable designer bottoms.
0: Kim, you, you, you aged yourself with, with that one because my boys wear high waters intentionally. Those thin tight to the bottom around their ankles. And I'm always like, ooh. I'm like, those are like three inches too short. But they're like, dude, you're so old.
3: (laughs) I don't know what the short pants, I don't know if I want them to come back. I really don't.
2: They do seem like
3: they are though.
2: Around here too. They are, they are.
0: So before Tanya closes out the show, um, I love this interview. Uh, we were texting back and forth all these nuggets of wisdom that we got from it. Um, yeah, there's a show beyond this show about this show that can happen. But I was, I was drawn by Kim's opening prompt and that great shout out to Goldie Muhammad. I'm going to send you a Goldie star. That's the kind of thing I do whenever I hear Goldie's name on this show. I'm like, oh, they deserve a Goldie star. <laughs> uh, so I, took, I took cards and I wrote about a moment that I felt proud of myself. And so I thought, what about right now? So C, Crandall. Crandall, you're still, you're still a little crazy with your wild ideas. A, always have been since you were a little boy playing. R, ridiculous games like Jaws, your dog Dusty with his sharp teeth. D, dodging childhood death with your sisters on your mom and dad's bed. S, still crazy? You know I am. The right time with Varian Johnson? What an honor. Be proud.
1: that is awesome Brian I do not have writing but I do want to say Kim I was so glad for your last question and for this writing prompt because I think the language is so rich in this novel and as I was reading I was like oh I would want to pull out all of this um, vernacular and home language and play with it in class and so I was so glad that that's one of the things that you pulled from the book and um and gave us an example of what you might do with it as a teacher so I'm so appreciative of that and also um of you and your time to represent the network and to do this interview I know it's the first weeks of school I know you've got little boys at home Uh, and so thank you so much for being here to do this interview with Marion. And Varian, we hope you're back for every novel and that they come more often than every three years, not to put any pressure on you, but we love to hear you talk about your work and to have you here. And we are so thankful for the beautiful, fun, glorious books that you put into the hands of kids. They're so important. And we're, we're um, and really adult. thankful
0: to you. Them and I'm reading these. I love
2: them. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs>
1: Uh, Like many things made for children, if they're really good, they're good for all of us. And this is definitely an example. Um, I always close by thanking our listeners too. We're so glad you're here and we wanna see you again. So you can follow the National Writing Project on Twitter. You can join our Facebook page or follow our Facebook page or join our group. You can visit nwp.org to sign up for our newsletter. And that's how you know when we're gonna interview someone exciting like Varian and make sure you don't miss a single episode of the right time. And finally, if you wanna uh, listen live with your colleagues, you could join the teacher studio at studio.nwp.org. We do a lot of work in there together as teachers who love writing. And one of the things we do is listen to the right time and chat about it. So um, join us at the studio thanks everyone for being here tonight and especially one more time thank you to varian and kim it was a pleasure to listen to you talk about
0: this book you're listening to nwp radio a production of the national writing project nwp nwp NWP. NWP. radio